0: When I'm at home in Denver, I have a weekly gig every Monday, Thursday, and Friday at a place in South Denver. It's a piano trio gig, and they do it seven nights a week. So I play piano and sing, and I've got a bass player and drummer backing me up. It's a lot of fun, and having two other people play with you makes it a lot easier to get through the evening. It's everything from originals to big hits to B-sides. And it's not really a request place, but... Anytime you're playing music at a fancy restaurant, people think it is. So we do get quite a few requests. And sometimes I entertain them if it's a song that I know or at least have heard enough times to give a good shot. Several weeks ago, somebody came in and requested Short People by Randy Newman. It's off his 1977 album, Little Criminals. I didn't think anything of it. It was a huge hit. And the song's been out for a long time. And I know there's some jabs at Short People. But I didn't think anything of it. I just played it. I got $20 to do it too. However, at the end of the set, the manager came up and said that somebody was deeply offended. He added that they weren't themselves short, but that they were very offended and walked out. I felt bad, but also wondered if they had any context for the song or if they needed any context for the song. I mean, maybe the lyrics speak for themselves and no matter what Randy meant by it, Surely he wasn't just trying to harass short people for no good reason. But no matter what he meant by it, the lyrics by themselves in a song, sandwiched in between a bunch of other songs with no context or relation to each other whatsoever, could come off as offensive. The lyrics of short people go as follows. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason. Short people got no reason to live. They got little hands and little eyes and they walk around telling great big lies. They got little noses and tiny little teeth. They wear platform shoes on their nasty little feet. Well, I don't want no short people. Don't want no short people. Don't want no short people around here. Short people are just the same as you and I, a fool such as I. All men are brothers until the day they die. It's a wonderful world. That's the bridge. And then it goes back to... Short people got nobody. Short people got nobody. Short people got nobody to love. They got little baby legs and they stand so low. You got to pick them up just to say hello. They got little cars that go beep, beep, beep. They got little voices going peep, peep, peep. They got grubby little fingers and dirty little minds. They're going to get you every time. Well, I don't want no short people. Don't want no short people. Don't want no short people around here. Randy Newman tried to spell it out to the Chicago Tribune. I would never write a song just to make fun of someone or something. At least I hope I wouldn't. Even the songs I've written that some people might see as making fun, I've never considered nasty. What I'm making fun of is people's callousness and insensitivity. And often that callousness is exaggerated to the point where it's funny. I mean, as in Yellow Man, that guy is an idiotic bigot, a pinhead. See, That's one thing that makes me a little different from a lot of other songwriters. I'm willing to act the part of the idiot in my songs. In 2014, he said, I had no idea that there was any sensitivity. I mean, that anyone could believe that anyone was as crazy as that character, to have that kind of animus against short people, and then to sing it and put it all in song and have a philosophy on it. And yet there were people who took a genuine beating, I almost regret nothing I've written, but you could make a case for that one. Of course, I didn't mean it, but it doesn't do any good if someone is going into an office every day and gets ribbed about being short or, Mom, I don't want to go to school today, this damn song. In a third interview, he kids, ah, fuck, why don't they just leave me alone? Maybe I was right about the little pukes all along. Now, despite your take on this song or on Randy Newman, I've always been a big fan of his. I like that he always writes in character. I think he described himself perfectly when he said that what makes him different from other songwriters is that he's willing to play the part of the idiot in his songs. And he is a film composer after all, just like his uncle Alfred and several other members of his family. He grew up being exposed to writing in other perspectives, to taking on other characters and putting himself in that person's shoes and then writing a song. It might seem disingenuous to some, to always be hiding behind the mask of a foreign character. I admire Randy, though. He's able to go to a place where few songwriters dare to explore. In terms of the song Short People, maybe he shouldn't have written the song, maybe he should have, I don't know, and I'm not here to pass judgment on that. But I'll no longer play it at my weekly gig in South Denver, and Because this song can be misinterpreted so easily, and has the potential to actually hurt someone's feelings, I probably shouldn't have played it in the first place. A few weeks ago, I got a call from my buddy Dan Cable from Portland. He was in town on some business and called to ask if I wanted to grab lunch. We went to Stack Subs, in Belmar, which is about 10 minutes from downtown Denver. We talked about life and music and our podcasts. Dan has a podcast called Dan Cable Presents that comes out every week, and he's been doing it for a long time. He works really hard, he's had a lot of great guests, and as a part of the podcast, he also has a spinoff called I Dig Records. It's still released as Dan Cable Presents, but it comes out every other Wednesday, where he has a guest host, and they discuss an album together. When we were having lunch, Dan asked me if I'd like to come on and discuss a record. So I sent him a few things in my collection, including the new Dawes album, Learning to Flinch by Warren Zevon, and several other selections. One thing I picked out was Randy Newman's Good Old Boys. It's a controversial album because in typical Randy Newman fashion, he really plays the character, and he goes all the way. The first track, Rednecks, is downright offensive. It uses the N-word several times. And it's the opening track of the album in truth he almost certainly couldn't put the album out today but maybe he shouldn't have even put it out in 1974. but the album is cinematic he's taking on the perspective of a stereotypical white southern boy in the 1970s and he goes all in what you're about to hear is my discussion with dan cable about randy newman's 1974 album good old boys and i want to give a huge shout out to dan because he did all the legwork on this. This episode was originally for his podcast, Dan Cable Presents. I Dig Records, Episode Twenty Nine. But after he edited it, he was kind en- he was kind enough, excuse me, to send me his edit and allow me to post it as a uh, an episode of my podcast as well. So thank you, Dan, so much for putting this all together. And I hope you all enjoy. I need to mention also that I miss sang the synth part on Naked Man. You'll hear it in the interview. My name is Andy Sido. I'm a singer, songwriter, performer, podcaster, and producer living in Denver, Colorado, and this is Middle Class Rockstar.
1: Welcome to to I Dig Records.
0: Thanks for having me. (laughs) I dig
1: records. (laughs) Um, Yeah, man. Stoked Stoked to have you guest hosting this thing. I I thought it would be interesting to hear what what records maybe have have influenced you over time as, as a songwriter and, and now as you, you dive even deeper into the producer land of things. So uh, I was I was stoked on the, the group of, of records that you sent. I thought it was I thought it was interesting some of the some of the albums that you you threw my way were uh, not exactly records, maybe, like, the most iconic records in people's catalogs, especially with some of the, yeah. the dudes that have been doing it a long time. You, you pick some of the ones that were, like, in the middle of the catalog or even with the Dawes record. You pick, like, the most recent Dawes album.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I get all the Dawes records, but, I, you know, I've been geeking out on the most recent one. And the thing was, with the records I sent... And I and I I don't have a lot, you know. Like I don't really listen to a whole lot of the, like the legendary records, you know. I mean, I kind of dig a little bit. Um, of course, I have, uh, you know, Graceland and Rumors, but um, the those other records I picked, like you know, the Dawes record, would have been more like diving into production. With this record, I think it's diving into. you know, the social connection with it or the social relevance um, in the time period and sort of the uniqueness of Randy Newman, because I don't know, like I run every morning, but I don't listen to Randy Newman when I'm running. (laughs) I don't sing along with this album. You know, it's not like I'm cleaning Sunday afternoon. Let's put on good old boys. Like it's not that kind of an album, but it's still, I think, a very important one in my collection.
1: Yeah, dude, I'm not, you know, I know Randy Newman from his hits. You know, you got a friend in me, the Toy Story Jam is is something, you know, that (laughs) everybody knows and can kind of connect with. And they used to, growing up outside of L.A., I used to go to a, a lot of L.A. Kings hockey games. And I love L.A. would always get played a lot. It used to be like the Kings goal song, which was awesome. They would score a goal and then the whole crowd just like singing along. I love LA. We love it. <laughs> you know, it's fucking awesome. That's
2: awesome. awesome. We, love
1: it. we love it. Good old boys was not something I really knew about this album from nineteen seventy-four. And I kinda just wanted to do the Randy Newman album, just even seeing the list of records you picked just because I know that he's a pretty legendary songwriter and and just so well respected in so many yeah. different realms of uh of things so I I want I leaned that way before even really going through the record and then I started lis- actually listening to the lyrics and I was like whoa this is uh this is some very interesting commentary, especially for 1974, but seeing how it now relates to our current times and the kind of the division of the country and the hypocrisy that, uh, you know, is, is kind of rooted in, in a lot of different things and especially politics at this time. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's some very interesting subject matter with this record. So I think, uh that's kind of uh a fun part of this this album and and what will be this this conversation in some ways i think um, yeah what what is your introduction to this album and what kind of context if any was given to you in listening to it
0: you know i've been a randy i mean i started on randy newman the same way everyone else did right like toy story um, but then, like, as a kid, I would hear soundtracks, you know, Monsters, Inc., you know, whatever, and be like, oh, my gosh, so that's Randy Newman. And I I loved his composing style. I loved his music. I love orchestral music, um, you know, and and so I've always loved that. And then I've always been a piano player, um, I mean, and a guitar player, but piano is my, my primary instrument. It's my, right. it's my best instrument. And it just, there's not, like, a ton of piano playing Singer-songwriters who write really good lyrics, um the way there are guitar players. It's a little bit more. You got to dig into like the Warren Zevon catalog or the, you know, everyone talks about Billy Joel and Elton John and, and now Ben Folds and they're all great. But you know, it's 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 a little bit of a different world. So I sort of, uh, you know, latched onto him because of that, and then heard songs like Louisiana 1927 that's on this record and Dixie Flyer. And heard other people covering his songs all the time. And I thought, man, this is a really special songwriter. And then just the way he writes, um, where he always is in character. He's always yeah, in character. right. Um, is something that I absolutely adore about him because it's something that most songwriters, I don't, I don't even think they have the ability to visit that world in the way that he does. And he lives there. Um, yeah, so I, as, as I started digging into Randy Newman, I started reading about all his records, read his biography and just was listening to random stuff. I would get my hands on records at the record store And good old boys was one that I heard about. Um, because he started writing all these songs about a, a, a you know, a Southern guy and it, it ended up the, the, the record ended up being a little different. It's
1: supposed to depict this, this man, Johnny Cutler. This this yes. southerner, this this man from this time period, which yeah, I think I think it's important to know that. You know, like you're talking about. It's like this is all very like character driven and Yes. Randy is not necessarily the narrator. You know, this isn't I mean, he he's delivering the message, but he's yeah. um uh, But he's delivering a message all right. Yeah, and it's there's <laughs> there's a lot of satire like he's he's kind of the king of satire in in a way of of writing these types of things and exploring social constructs in this way and yeah um we won't even we won't even play the first track on the album which is called Rednecks just because yeah. Randy no longer plays this song um just because i i from what I gathered listening to interviews with him. And I, and I tried to do like a lot of digging just on this particular album, just so I could like further wrap my head around it. Cause this is obviously like a pretty, uh, I don't know. This is like a time when a lot of, a lot of light is being shined on, on the oppressed and, and for good reason in this country. And I think like, you know, as the internet becomes bigger, we're obviously like more, more information is readily available to people and and makes people more upset because you're you're finding out just like all of the underlying like racism and oppression that has existed in the country from kind of the get go and uh Randy just kind of has has broken it down since the beginning of his songwriting and he's yeah. done it in a way where he has has not been afraid to use certain language and and slurs even you know for uh especially in the early part of his career but i know he is like he's not stoked at this point about singing the n-word eight times
0: no no he's he's not in in this you know rednecks the leadoff track has the n-word i I don't know seven eight times whatever it is and and uh, like you were saying it started off you, you know the working title was johnny cutler's birthday um, a, a day in the life of a redneck, and it, it turned into Good Old Boys, and didn't all end up being about Johnny Cutler. But, um, yeah, in that first song, he goes right at it. It's not the first time um, he's done he's done something like that. I in his his record that came out, uh, I believe in 1972, right before Good Old Boys was Sail Away, and the title track has a lyric, um, "Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mamba snake." Just the sweet watermelon and the buckwheat cake. Everybody is as happy as a man can be. Climb aboard, little wog. Sail away with me. Yeah. Um, wog is a, a term used for dark-skinned people in the U.K. It, it Kind of kind of like the N-word. Um, and Bobby Darin, uh, who was a, a pop artist at the time, did his own version of the song and uh, changed the word wog to one. Climb aboard, little one. Sail away with me. Uh, making, you know, the trip, uh, a happy thing instead of, don't know, he kind of totally changed the meaning of the, of the song with the one word, but he's never been afraid to, um, take on a character. And I, I appreciate that about Randy. And I think it comes from the fact that he's a film composer and his whole family's film composers. His uncle was a very famous film composer, Alfred. Um, so taking on a role has never been something unfamiliar to Randy you know he had to write a song about Buzz Lightyear thinking he could fly and jumping off a second story staircase right that's not a normal songwriter um and I don't know that's that's part of the his magic and it's also part of what's gotten him in trouble over the years
1: yeah but you know what also like from what I know about Randy Newman and obviously like didn't I didn't spend an insane amount of time reading his biography or anything like that but Randy Newman's not some. From what I can see and like, from what I know, Randy Newman's not necessarily like this controversial character who is on the wrong side of history. Often, so it's like he's not doing this to be shocking. It's it's more of like he's he's doing this to to bring awareness about these issues, and also just to you know there's like these characters often depict different aspects of American culture and and some of those are awful and some are good and some are good in their intentions, but are not exceptional in their execution. You know, like that first track talks, like there's a lot of talk in on this record, right. Of like dumb Southerners and how the rest of the country just thinks that the South is is dumb and, and all the self-righteousness of, you know, being being on the right side of things. And he's, uh, which, which I think is also cool because, like, I got to imagine even at this point being from somewhere in that region, it's got to get old. Even if you are, like, some progressive type or, you know, someone that leans yeah. to the left and you grow up in these areas, it's got to get old kind of, like, Oh, you're like just being discounted because you're you're from a certain area and just assuming that you're an idiot who who's like about the Confederacy or some shit like that, you know? Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, the stereotype gets old, but and also, I mean, this this was recorded in 1974, but also, but even still, today, I, it, the stereotype isn't always um, always wrong. I'd like to think we're probably a lot more progressive as a, as a people than we were in, in the seventies. But, um, you know, and, and Randy, you know, even said, uh, in an interview with billboard when the album came out, like, Hey, there's some things that Southern, that, uh, uh, Southern people do really well. You know, I mean the, the civility and the taking you in or what, whatever they're, they're going to help you out on the side of the road if you have a flat tire, but there's a few things, um, that, uh, that they don't do so well. Yeah. And, it, and he came out and straight, straight up said, he goes, you know, blacks, Jews. I mean, he just said it just like that. Right. And right. Um, and he went after it. So, so this first song, Rednecks, which, yeah, we definitely won't play because um, uh, he uses the N-word. But do you, do you know the story uh, of the song?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, like I somewhat understand like that dude's appearance on the Dick Cavett show. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, – Lester Maddox, and if you haven't seen, uh, it's up on YouTube. You can watch the cool. entire I'll, Dick Cavett
1: episode. I'll pipe it into the the conversation somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredible, uh, just kind of how crazy it is, and it's Lester Maddox, and um, and, and Jim Brown, who's um, you know a black football player and actor, and so they're sitting right next to each other on the show. Lester Maddox uh, was a politician. He was the 75th governor of Georgia from 67 to 71. He appeared on the Dick Cavett show in uh, December of 1970, I believe. And he kind of, it was, he was this horrifying character when he got elected in 67 because before that he owned a place called the Pickrick. and it was a food place and he didn't let black people um, eat there and he would have them thrown out even Though uh, a law had been passed no longer allowing that. Um, But he said, hey, I'm going to I would rather shut my doors than let black people into my establishment. And that's uh, ultimately what happened. But then he started running for public office and it was kind of a joke. Like, oh, yeah, like this guy, of course, he's not going to, you know. Um, And then eventually he he did uh, get elected to an office. And with just these, I, I don't know, very crazy, radical views, saying whatever he wanted um, it, it, actually, not unlike something that happened recently in American history. Um, but, uh, you know, so he gets invited on the Dick Cavett show um, and Jim Brown's on the show as well. And it turns into a circus because it's well documented, the things that Dick Cavett's done and and how he's, you know, he's. Uh, a segregationalist. And he defines that as someone who's, who's just proud of being who they are. He goes, I'm just proud of being white and I want to sustain those values. And, and, um, and finally, and, and he just talks, he's just talking and talking. And finally, uh, Jim Brown pipes in and he says, well, um, have you disappointed any of your bigot supporters because you've done so much for black people? And it was a perfectly timed question. And, uh, Lester Maddox having really nothing good to say to this, um, you know, tries tries to bounce it off. Eventually, um, leaves the show and tries to get uh, Dick Cavett to apologize to him, um, <laughs> and, you know. And it's just kind of this this crazy wild circus. And you wonder how he was even allowed on the show. You wonder what Jimmy Kimmel would have done with him in 2021 on his show. And then and then you think. Uh oh my gosh. And also you think the about the office, fact that Randy Newman was watching speech, that episode. Even at this time and uh, I know it, right more it triggered some inspiration in the, in
3: the governor's it. mansion and the governor's mm-hmm. office than all the other fifty governors Offices in the United States, even at this time.
4: Yeah, I hear the door is always open, which is rare in today's politics, and you do have people. Well, we try open. to
3: run the governor's office like you run your own business, your own home.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Did you have any we, problems we from the bigots in the South? Have any problems with us from the
2: white bigots because you did so much for the black man?
3: <laughs> what do you mean, uh, which? White bigots. The black ones and white ones I have trouble with from time to no, time. No, I said
2: white bigots. I have the black uh, races
3: and the white races that create some problems. Did you have you any know?
2: problems with the white races because you did so much for
4: the black people? Uh, Mr. Brown asked you, Governor uh, Maddox, if you'd had any trouble from your white uh, admirers for the fact that you he have didn't done He did admirers, for... sir. No, he said bigots. Well, why that? didn't
3: you right. say it like he said?
4: It? <laughs> huh? you, you have why, me there. Why,
3: why didn't you say it? Now, see that what I'm talking about, Dick?
4: I, I do see you it, You take yes. words There's and push of... them
3: around and you mislead the people in the audience and all. You ought to start being honest, all of you, with your words and what you're saying to people. You uh, said admirers and he said bigots. A lot of difference, isn't
4: there? Yes, I feel like a bigger why you, person. Why now. do you want to
3: mislead the people like that? <laughs>
4: I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to mislead the people. It is a good question though, isn't it? Uh, well, it, it, uh, it's, a,
3: it's a good question, but for you to come back and call bigots my admirers is a farce, it's a, it's a act of hypocrisy, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a terrible way to treat a guest on your show, and you know it.
4: Uh-huh. You know he's right about that.
3: Why don't you, poli- why don't you apologize to the people? we well, calling people that are my admirers bigots.
4: Now, wait a minute. I'll take you now, half we got seriously over four on million, this. But I won't...
3: We got over 4 million people in Georgia that are of my friends, and I call admirers, and you're calling them all bigots.
4: No, I'm not. Now,
3: you apologize to
4: them. No, I won't.
3: All right. <laughs> uh, oh, no, don't. Wait, please. No. You better apologize. Please. No. I'll sit down. I'll explain it.
1: <laughs> Let me see. The other thing that I, I thought was interesting was just uh just kind of learning what like some of Randy's kind of motivation behind how he presented some of these arrangements and some of these songs like when you talk about Rednecks it, it was supposed to like that that song even though its lyrical content is is super heavy it's uh it it can be very easy to sing along with and, and so many of the songs on the record can be that way. Right. So, and I, I just in reading how he did that with purpose, just to represent how insidious racism can be and just like how quickly you can be singing along with this song or like how quickly you could be participating in a system that supports racism even if you don't really ide- like think that you personally are racist, or like even yeah. understanding all of the the gears at work. Yes. So. Uh, yep. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was interesting to see like him depicting how easy it is to get indoctrinated, you know, into this this ideas these ideas and like this ideology. But then, like, the flip side of it is it's, like, how much empathy do you want to extend to, like, these people, you know, to leave for these folks whose, like, moral compass maybe didn't, like, really stand a chance from the get-go because this is just, like, how they were raised.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How they were raised. And you brought up... A really interesting point that I've thought a lot about with this record is that it's really easy to sing along. Um, I mean, there's, you know, the melodies, you find yourself humming the tunes. And I wonder if, I mean, obviously it's a song, right? It's not a movie. Um, But the reason why it's controversial, um, I don't know if it would be if it was a movie, right? You would just say, oh, like Randy Newman wrote this movie about southern people not right, about con- right. not a country record but the people who listen to it you know and yeah. <laughs> you know and 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 i and and attacks them and i you know i don't mean to of- offend anybody by saying that but um but it's not a movie it's not uh something that i mean it's it, he wrote melodies and sang them with purpose and character and, yeah. and that's i think what makes it um controversial to a lot of folks
1: yeah, I'll put it in the links in the episode notes, but there's a couple really cool articles about this particular album and like Randy Newman as a whole. One of them is a Pitchfork album a Pitchfork review of this record from 2016, and they Pitchfork gave this album a 9.3, I think, which is just crazy exactly. high for for Pitchfork standards. So that's yeah. from 2016, but then there's this LA Times article from 1991 which is very cool to kind of like read through now and see how it holds up over time but he uh it says uh Newman gives Newman gives these people a strong characterizations and lets them state their case vividly racism isn't trivial so why should racists be characterized that way and I thought that that was like a very cool point but also it's like where is the line now like obviously Randy Newman knows that like the n-word should no longer be in play and maybe maybe he shouldn't have used it from the get-go like even though it was 1974 like I understand like the impact he was but like does it have the same impact without it it's like Bob Dylan says the n-word in hurricane you know that track yes so like that's a pretty famous moment where where Dylan use the n-word but like he wouldn't do that now even if he was trying to hammer home that same point i don't think necessarily um, yeah he, so yeah, it's like right and i kind of like it's it's interesting it brings up interesting conversation in that way you know of like what you're talking about like if randy newman was writing a movie and depicting the people in this way or like tarantino is a dude that's uh pretty known for depicting depicting black culture so like the n-word gets thrown around a lot in those movies and it's like should this dude be writing this stuff and and whatnot and i kind of like yeah i understand i I guess i see both sides of the coin in some way you know because i think it's like important to tell these stories but i also understand the sensitivity towards the situation at this point just because of all of like the deeply rooted racism and the fucked up (laughs) system that has existed and like what like what are we doing by giving these things voices and like randy newman's argument seems to be like hey the audience that is paying enough money to come see me understands the message that i was trying to communicate they understand that this wasn't like to support the use of the n-word and like that i you know like want the South to rise again or really like necessarily even identify with these people. I'm just trying to like point out the hypocrisy of the whole thing. Cause while, you know, the left is bitching about the, the rise of the South, they're like doing their own segregation in some ways in cities. It's just like, it's not as clear at that, that point. And he kind of like touches upon that in, in rednecks as well of just like talking about the people being, uh, in cages, but they're just in different cities,
0: yeah, yeah. well, and that's in that song, you're free to be in a uh, in a cage in uh, what is it, somewhere in Massachusetts, even, like even in the north, right which right. he put he put, uh, you know, he put this group of people in a cage all over the country, yeah, you know. I, I mean, and and I think he really represented something with that. and I, I mean, I would tend to say that Randy Newman was woke. 40 years before it was used as a term, however, however, um, he stopped singing, um, he stopped singing the song and I'm trying to remember the exact story, but it was something along the lines of, he was singing it in the South and when he would get to the N word, everybody would stand up and scream it. And it was almost... Uh, like it was viewed as, well, hey, Randy Newman's using it in his song. I'm just singing the song, man. I'm right, just singing right. the song. And so it, it was an excuse uh, to use that word, yeah. which was not the intended meaning at all, you know, for for, for that word, but should, should never be used anyway. And uh, he got a, a letter from um, a black fan who said, hey, this made me extremely uncomfortable. Like, I'm a huge fan of your work. You know, I, I know what you're trying to do with the album, but having all these people stand up and yell the N-word seven or eight times in this three-minute period and and proudly and pointing fingers, I mean, they right. just—I I didn't like it. You know, it made me feel uncomfortable, and of course it did. And I don't think that occurred to him before he put out the record. And when he saw that, he very quickly said, oh, okay. So—and I think even before he got the letter, he saw the audience do it went, yeah. wait a minute. That's not. That's not what what this is supposed to be.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of a uh, the the Dave Chappelle effect. Of far as far as like why Dave Chappelle walked away from Chappelle Show because he felt like the wrong people were l- laughing at the jokes or like the jokes were being yeah. laughed at from the wrong perspective, like in support of like these stereotypes or like you know. It, so it's uh. It's cool that he was able to like recognize that and not be some asshole that like, st- like stood on that hill to be like, no, I'm going to keep saying this. And like, cause again, I think that's, that's where like the problem derives of like, you hope that your audience is going to get it and they most likely yep. will, but that's your echo chamber. So like, yep how it's perceived and how it's misconstrued and, and interpreted in other ways. It's like the fucking, it's like the assholes that uh, started using Rage Against the Machine at like the Republican Party gatherings or whatever. And it's just like, hey, yeah. dummies, what machine do you think that Rage was raging against? Like, <laughs> what, Like, what did you think this music was about? And like, yeah. now you're using it in in a in a very fucked up backwards way so it's uh it's cool man like i'm glad you picked this record because it just like gave me a lot to think about at first i was very like pushed off from it but i all again knew that like i know that randy yeah. newman is not like some person that's demonized by the music community right. and so i it was very interesting just to like learn more but also like understand like hey there's there's like a lot of trauma built into folks lives and entire like family DNA because of all of the injustices of these things so I understand like why it might hit in the wrong way for certain people and like yeah just so much bullshit has been like swept under the rug and like I feel like disguised in other ways so it's uh it's just a it's a trip to listen to it and it's a trip like of a of a snapshot in time and i think i've i've talked about this with other records and just on this podcast at other times It's it's very wild to just know that all of these things all of this like music that comes from like the revolution times of like the 60s and 70s all of those topics are completely relevant today and have not like gone away. They just look right. a little different and i think that part is crazy and just you know obviously speaks to history repeating itself and but also it, i to me it represents like progress in some way. Like that it's not yeah. it's not cool to just like drop the n word 8 times anymore in the song just right. cuz you were like trying to prove a point or something.
0: Right? yeah absolutely and i i mean and randy's aware of that too right yeah, yeah. he's always been, you know that's 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 the cool thing um yeah. but you know if once we get past the first song uh I, I think johnny cutler sort of comes to life a little bit in the second song and i know that it kind of You know, it started with songs about this fictional character and and ended up into this, into the good old boys album. But um, I think Birmingham has a much different meaning if it's not placed where it is. It comes right after Rednecks. And I think, you know, maybe uh, Johnny Cutler was watching the Dick Cavett show. And then, and now he's telling you about himself in the second song. Yeah. You know, and he's prideful for his home
2: got a wife got a family Earn my living with my hand My role in is still that time burning in My daddy was a barber. the most unsightly man I
1: think Born that's in Tuscaloosa.
2: There's plenty
1: of people that are prideful about where they come from for for good reasoning. You know? And you can Yeah. Like you really it's it's so crazy how different the United States is regionally, right? And and you probably know this from touring. And until you actually go somewhere and experience something, it um your your perception of, of places is, is often very like misconstrued and very misguided by I guess like what you've seen in movies and tv and things of that nature yep yeah yeah
0: absolutely I mean yeah you go I mean I did drove through the midwest this summer and it was just funny you could drive through different cultures in one day you know you wake up in st louis drive to nashville wake up in nashville drive to cincinnati and uh you know and see and, and see wonderful things about these different places I'm not saying that in a in a bad way at all but you just um yeah you see it it's not it's not Denver
1: yeah you know I, and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's different yeah driving through the south and like seeing how like beautiful areas of it are and and just that that southern hospitality often does exist you know
0: yep yeah and
1: yeah I don't yeah. think i I think it would
0: take a while to get helped out if i got helped out at all if i like had a flat tire uh in denver
1: yeah or on the side of the freeway in los angeles
0: right right (laughs) right 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 right. Uh, uh, i'm not stopping for you
1: andy i'm not stopping for you on the 405 (laughs) no no me neither as far as like just the tunes on the on like outside of lyrical content is there is randy newman and like this style of songwriting that's just like really impacted the way that you want to play piano and the way that you want to compose tunes. Cause I like to me, that's big takeaway musically from the whole thing is that there like, there's this consistent undeniable feel through each track in the playing, like just the way he approaches his, his touch on the keys is just so fucking it's butter like it's just so smooth
0: yeah it's it's interesting i'm 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 so conflicted cuz i I've, i always used to do all my writing on guitar even though i'm a better piano player and it started where i'm kind of doing maybe 50/50 now guitar and piano writing sometimes i go through phases where i'm just writing on piano but when i write on guitar I mean, I, it's often that I feel like I take on another personality, right? Like another artist that I respect. So for guitar for a lot of years, that was Andrews Osborne, right? I was always kind of like, as I was writing songs, I was in, in a weird way putting myself in his shoes, being my own person, but but just knew so much about his music and and Jackie Green and some other people where I felt like I was kind of, it, it took some of their style on as a part of my style Then when I was writing on piano and I still feel this way, Randy Newman is sort of that personality that I take on. And my chord progressions on the piano are far more interesting than the guitar most of the time. And, uh, and I just go to these different places that I don't go on guitar. And I don't think that one's better than the other, but they're different. And I realize it's because like I'm channeling writing as a piano player, I'm channeling Mm. Randy Newman a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not that good, of course. I'm not Randy Newman, but, but that influence is, is in there. And my most interesting songs, and in-depth songs in a way, have been piano songs, because thinking musically and lyrically, a little bit differently has done, I think, has been really great, um, great for me. It doesn't always just end up being a love song, you know, It's uh, yeah. takes on content
1: and uh you spoke at the beginning and we've we've talked a lot during this conversation already just about you know a lot of his material as far as lyrics is character driven is that something that has always been a part of your writing as well or is that something that you struggle to write outside of your own experience or trying to really like represent someone else's experience through your your tunes?
0: That's a great question. Um, So I think I'm starting to write more and more outside of myself and being in other characters because it entertains me. Um, But I, I mean, it used to be that everything was autobiographical to an extent, you know, but I, I've now I'll take on um, a different character or, you know, or an object or whatever. So I I think I've been doing more and more of that as I've gotten older. Not that I don't still appreciate, like, the I Love You song, and I still write plenty of them, but there's a part of me that wants to go somewhere different and explore somewhere different. And I think, um, you know, sometimes that can be being a different person.
1: Yeah. Is it, do you think it's more difficult to tap into something like that? Or is it nice because you are just like, Going off of imagination at that point well
0: uh, i it's it, it yes and no, I mean it's more difficult than the fact that you have to use your imagination, but also you get to use your imagination, not that you don't with an autobiographical song, but with an autobiographical song, a lot of times the information is there right. um, and with something else, you know there might you might be looking into things doing a little research or. Um, thinking, well, how would I really feel if I was, um, if I was this person
1: or are you like very influenced by if you're watching a movie or a TV show or something, is that often maybe something that you will take subject matter of like, Oh, this is an interesting situation. Can I, uh, can I grab something from this? That's been a new thing for me.
0: Um, yeah, I've actually it's been a new thing. But yes, yes, I'm trying to do that kind of thing because because it's fun. Like I I haven't written a song about this, but I'm watching Lost right now for the first time. I'm like, oh, why man. why can't I be this character if I'm gonna write seen a song? It. I haven't, but I I um I've started doing some of that that kind of stuff from stuff that I I see and watch and try to take on a different perspective.
1: Yeah, and I know you've been kind of. Uh, you've been doing like a lot of producing and leaning into that role. So do you feel like you're also just like listening to records differently or through a different lens now that you're doing more of that work and maybe not listening just as a songwriter, but just thinking about things a little differently?
0: Yeah, because I did always listen as just a songwriter for a long time. Right. Or, or that sounds cool, but I don't care why. Mm. Um, and then now listening to records, um, and saying, Well, what did they do there musically and why did they do that? What was that instrument? What was that instrument he used there? Or what was that effect? Um, that stuff's all um that stuff's all really fascinating to me and to hear a band like Dawes who uh remove the band and just have like Taylor and his acoustic guitar as like a folk singer. Mm. And then you add this this element of production and effects and it becomes something completely different and really magical and it pushes the envelope forward.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. I would imagine that just like makes you write songs differently too. And it all just kind of like informs.
0: I've, I've had a couple of times now where I've written a song on, on logic instead of like, it's always guitar and piano. I'm an instrument ah, guy. I'm not, a f- I'm not like a computer guy. I'm an instrument guy. I write arrangements like that's, my thing but i've had a couple songs where i have gone straight to logic and like you know either mouth the drum part and just and put that in there and then just start putting things on top of it or whatever uh and it, it just is a totally different thing it puts me out of my comfort zone in the end product is much much different than something i would write just sitting on the guitar or piano
1: yeah man well in regards to this record you got lenny Warren Kerr, who produced yep. like a lot of like Rye Rye Cooter and like Gordon Light Lightfoot, almost all the Randy Newman records yes, are produced yeah, by this they work dude. They worked together a ton. And then working with Lenny was Russ Titleman. It looks like, mm-hmm. and he also yep. did a lot of the the Randy records and that Rye Cooter and James Taylor. So this thing sounds amazing especially the remastered version is what i've been listening to a lot of i guess on on spotify or apple and yeah it just it just sounds huge like the the keys are just the keys and the strings
0: yeah on this whole album when i i've got my copy here by the way oh nice (laughs) but yeah the keys and the strings and uh it's one of my favorite things about the album is it's very randy i mean it's him and a piano. I mean, him and a piano, and you can hear the orchestration just by how he plays piano, even if it wasn't there. But it is, and it's not a symphony. But there's these string parts, there's these wind parts. Um, the production, the production is all is almost on the instruments, with the with the exception of um, Naked Man. Um, it's all it's all just piano then there's some drums in the background on a lot of these songs and and strings and winds i mean it's very
1: uh it's very him i guess yeah i don't know man just the way he gets the music to move in his rhythm on the keys especially like you with naked man <laughs>
0: Wicked Man, um, which I don't even know where, he, how he wrote this song because the subject matter is so bizarre. But um, they use like a little echo on his on his voice, but that little instrument, ba 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 ba, I don't know if I'm singing that in the right key, but uh, they call it Tonto, the original new timbrel orchestra as a synth. And Stevie Wonder used that very synth on like his previous three albums. And, uh, they all did very well of course because yeah, Stevie Wonder and so Randy used that synth on this song
2: shuffling up the wind
1: many people like you said have covered Randy Newman tunes but the effect is just not the same as when Randy sings it With and it's just kind of that that croaking that will sometimes happen in his voice you know it's all people with
0: a lot better voices cover him right
1: but, but all not... feel with this dude yeah yeah, yeah. you know and, and just his his delivery like he's it seems like you know, like, it's like he understands the limitations of his voice and realizes that he doesn't necessarily need to be, like, the flashiest dude. Absolutely. What well, he
0: does, he's completely himself. Even though he takes on a different character in almost every song he's ever written, he's completely himself.
1: Right. That's And that's, like, very impressive to be able to just do it with that much conviction I guess and and you know like you said he grew up like just kind of around film and stuff and and he just makes himself a part of the story I guess and just really seems to, to lean into like whatever that character is and that's why you probably get something like you've got a friend in me and this thing that seems like there's this universal connection between all kinds of different people that love that song and cannot um refrain from feeling something while listening to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's fucking like rolling away is uh or is it, it's rolling. Rolling, yep. That's the last track on the album. Mm-hmm. Like this song is just the, the touch on the keys thing, but it's just—it seems like he's able through through the music to like represent like this despair through the piano playing. But they also usually return with a bunch of relief and hope somewhere in in the in the same song. Like every song is kind of like that with Randy Re- Newman, or at least with this particular group of songs.
2: Rolling, ain't gonna worry no more. Rolling, rolling, ain't gonna worry no more.
0: Well, something, a theme I've noticed with him in a lot of his music throughout the years is that his piano and his vocal line follow each other. Um, you know, there's songs where you'll hear. Uh, yeah, the the prime example I'm thinking of is the uh, the Toy Story where, when she loved me, where, uh, uh, Woody's female friend, what's her name, gets left oh. on the side of the road in Toy Story two, and that whole song. He has lots of songs like this, but it's this just one on the top of my head his piano and his voice are playing, are both doing the melody, and you wonder which one's following which. Mm. Did he come up with this vocal line and follow it with his piano, and that's how he came up with this incredible piano part in chord structure, or was it the other way around? But I think he accomplishes a lot of what you're saying through um, it's, it, he's not like, I'm going to play a G and a D and a C and sing, sing some lyrics over it. It's not like that. Yeah. He's, he is one body, one thing. And he's, and he's playing it together. It's, it's almost like it's not piano and vocals. It's just him. Hmm. And, the, and, and he uses these two different platform, you know, uses these two different devices to make his music. Yeah. When somebody loved me. everything was beautiful
1: if i don't know it just seems like he leaves so much space too like in the tracks you know it's never it's never too busy and the length of the songs is really appreciated Mm -hmm. i think you know it's it's uh it delivers the message and then it gets out like there's not it's not usually some grand break in the tune that extends out to 5 minutes, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like right. here's right, right, here's right, right. the he story.
1: <laughs> and uh He's all about on to the, the next one. What are what are like some standout tracks for you on this album?
0: So, first listen, Louisiana 1927. And it's been done by Aaron Neville and uh, it's been done by Tons of people, and it's about, um, you, you know, it's about a, the flood that happened in 1927. And it was, a, I think, a very, very big thing uh, at the time. It's a beautiful, beautiful song, and that arrangement da, 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 at the beginning is amazing. Um, so that song is just gut wrenchingly beautiful.
2: us away They're trying to wash us away Louisiana Louisiana They're trying to wash us away They're trying to wash us away President Coolidge come down to the railroad train The little fat man I feel like you can, like
1: this music could just be a musical or a Broadway play and you wouldn't need any dialogue. Like you would just be able to figure out how to represent things visually while this is being played. Can
0: you imagine if they made a Broadway play in 2022 where they sang all of these songs in a musical? I mean, there would, there would be a lot of
1: controversy i think yeah <laughs> i don't think yeah i'm not sure that that would be the move to go front to back on no. this uh particular one no. but just speaking no. to like his ability to like paint a picture is uh mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible he
0: it, it paints a picture so well uh, you know if we like going marie which is the third track oh man that's that okay, so that song I believe is one of the very few that he's ever written that was about someone. It was about someone he actually did love, but I think in this context, I I believe it's Johnny Cutler's wife, or that's how I'm. Hmm. That's what I'm getting yeah. from it, and he's he's drunk, but he loves her. But he's got issues, and it's sort of it's interesting how he writes the song. It's so somber, and I can picture myself in his shoes sitting there watching my wife sleep but feeling like total shit about myself like i'm useless and i'm nothing oh, man. and i might treat her like crap tomorrow i might hit her tomorrow right but right now i'm watching her sleep and she's beautiful i wouldn't but the character <laughs> <might>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's just an interesting uh it's an interesting take and from those three songs i feel like i know this character um for better or worse, most you know, but I know this character. I, you know, I'm I've I you hear these three songs and you know a lot. He's developed a story, not just in one song, but he's developing a character. Like yeah. like a like a play, like a movie, like you're saying.
2: With your hair, piled up high, I will never forget. I'm drunk right now, baby. What I've got to be. I never could tell you what you mean to me. I loved you the first
1: time. Yeah, for sure. He's again like I just showing that me. awful people with like, and you know, always ideologies that aren't me. super super well respected is uh, that these people also have depth and, and layers to them. Just because, yep. you know, just because you don't agree with somebody doesn't mean that they don't have, like, a full range of emotions in some way. And But also, yeah, you know, understanding how you can like, just feel like a real piece of shit. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and also, like, love this person so much like you're like you're saying and as far I don't know I think you can feel it in the track that he's really in love on this track like yeah. you're saying you know there's not like often where he was writing from this perspective of really being in love but you can you can feel the heart in this one and yeah those string lines
0: yeah oh, it, uh, this song is yeah Marie is Um, Yeah, every time, like, I always just start singing it. It's, uh, yeah, they're they're all, like I said, I would never listen to this while running. It's not Sunday afternoon cleaning music either, but it's, Mm. they're special, they're special songs. You know, something else that gets me on on this record that I think about in terms of when it was recorded, uh, 19, you know, came out in 1974, um, he, there's a lot of, there's politicians. I mean, Lester Maddox and Rednecks pops up right away. Um, Mr. President have pity on the working man, Mm. which, um, which has to do with Nixon resigning, um. And then you've got at track seven and eight is
1: "Every Man a King" and
0: "Kingfish."
1: Dude, we um, gotta we gotta talk about "Every Man a King."
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, in in the fact that they're in this order next I'm to each other, fresh, they have to be. Old. They have to be. You couldn't. "Every Man a King" is not a Whoa, single. Fresh, um, yeah. But "Kingfish," which is which is the eighth track, yeah, it's about the governor of Louisiana from 1928 to, 20, to 32, and then he was uh, a senator from 32 to 35. Huey, the Kingfish Long, um, and he got—I believe—he got assassinated in 1935, so that he couldn't go for re-election or something. I don't—I don't know for his next term. But uh, so that's that's Kingfish. It's about it's about Huey Long. The song before it, "Every Man a King," was that—that's not his song. It was his campaign song. It was—I mean, it was no way. Uh, Hue- yeah, it was Huey Long's campaign this song that real? they uh, that they wrote. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and Randy searched for the original recording. They tried to find the original recording, but they re-recorded it I themselves. Love my and but that song Every Man a King, that listen to that and that is that's a song that was going to get somebody elected in that time
1: period. Oh, amazing, dude. Amazing. Like Every mannequin. That's so funny because I was I was gonna be, I don't know. I was just gonna say, if you want to see someone go hard on the satire, you know, <laughs> this is a great representation of how far Randy Newman was willing to take it. Yeah. Because this is some sketch comedy shit, dude. It's like some this sketch is comedy <laughs> shit. It, it's rough. It's very yeah. like. That's that's crazy that that was a real That was the real campaign. There's a campaign song.
2: When it's sunny June and December too or in the winter time or spring There'll be peace without end, every neighbor a friend, and every man a king.
0: You know, Kingfish was the governor 1928 to 1932, Senator 32 to 35. So this song was being written in the 30s. If this was your campaign song in 2022, you're not getting elected to anything. (laughs) Well, actually, I don't know if that's true, but, you know. Uh, Isn't that funny? But that's, that's I mean, he's just totally, totally taking on the role at this point. He he did a cover of a campaign song. Come
1: on, it's amazing. I just I just love that like the willingness too to like put that on the record, like the last yep, the one of the last volumes that I did of I dig records was talking about this funkadelic record, America eats its young. Yeah, and that also just has so much good social commentary. And it's it's kind of crazy just to like think about, you know, fifty, sixty years ago these people were speaking out against the government in some way and, you know, doing doing some some hot button shit like Randy Newman putting this campaign song on there, you know, that had to piss a lot of people off when when those people on that side of things you know, kinda understood that he was actually making fun of them. He wasn't putting it on to support them. That must have like pissed a whole different group of people off, you know?
0: It's like people watching Colbert report that didn't real they
1: don't realize what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, going back to the rage thing, people not understanding what we're raging <laughs> against. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, well in, in satire is such a I mean I think he said earlier he's kind of the king of satire. It's something that he's always done. A couple of these songs towards the end of the record that you might you might skip over if you didn't know they were, if you didn't know, uh, I mean, really dig in with the subject matter. Um, did you listen to the last couple of tracks like a wedding in Cherokee County oh, I, I Back listen. on My
1: Feet Again? I listened to the whole thing multiple times. It's
0: so the. <laughs> A wedding in Cherokee County is the daughter of a midget and a whore marrying a man who fears that she will laugh at his sword. And his sword, uh, you know, is, is uh, you know his is wiener. <laughs> I mean, no, but like the the lyrics, today we will be married and all the freaks that she knows will be there and all the people from the village will be there to congratulate us. I will carry her across the threshold. I will make dim the light. I will attempt to spend my love within her, but I will try with all my might. But though I try with all my might, she will laugh at my mighty sword. She will laugh at my mighty
1: sword. Why must everybody laugh at my mighty sword? This guy has a real self-esteem issue about the size of his penis, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. It sounds like uh, he drives a nice sports car. (laughs) <laughs> he has got a big truck. <laughs>
2: and all the freaks that she knows will be there. And all the people from the village will be there. To congratulate us. we will carry across the threshold. Now we'll make them light.
0: The thing that gets me about it is that who thinks of that? Who thinks of that? Like we've all written about how beautiful our girlfriend is or whatever, or like how bad this breakup was or how I was, whatever. I mean, the things that normal people write about, um, Normal people don't write this, and and Randy Newman doesn't write any other way, and he couldn't
1: write any other way. Yeah, that's what makes it. That's what makes it Randy. It's like no one's no one's telling stories the way this guy tells stories, and I think everybody would sit around the piano and listen to him do it, even if it was just him without any sort of accompaniment, because he's just like it's that compelling.
0: My favorite uh, Newman recordings, there's three volumes out now, um, but it's just the Randy Newman s- songbook, and it's him playing all of his songs, solo piano, and singing, of course, but it's just yeah. him, and it's, um, it's amazing. Back on my feet again, which is the, uh, the second-to-last track before Roland, which we were talking about earlier, um, is a, a, a Johnny Cutler's crazy brother who wants to be released from the institution. He's incarcerated. He's pleading with the doctor, and he's telling the doctor that his sister married a black man, who turned out to be a white millionaire. But the but he dressed up as a black man to see if the sister's love was real. Then when she married him anyway, thinking he was black, uh, he said, "No, I'm actually white, and I'm rich, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna teach you how to do uh, what are the two things he says? Oh, I'm gonna teach you how to play polo and water ski." Which are, I I think what he I think he was going for like a stereotypical rich white guy sport.
1: Yeah, like very privileged. <laughs> yes. You know, outdoor activities.
0: <laughs> uh, but I just I don't even know. It is as if he just has a dream or something. He goes, you know what I'm I've got a story there. I, it's just kind of I don't know. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's his his imagination is is very much movies, you know. It's yep. like these little short films or in this case it's it's kind of a a longer saga and you get to see these different chapters and not necessarily in any particular order. Guilty is one of my favorite tracks on the on the record.
0: Yes, we haven't talked about that.
1: Beautiful arrangement here again strings are banging but this is also like you you get johnny cutler this guy is starting to uh explore some of the guilt that's in his heart for maybe you know just his about his life and uh the person that that he is and you can yeah. you can hear it in the tune
0: it was very much I think if you were going to, like, give every song on this album, like, a brother or sister song, I think it would probably go with Marie, Um, but it's really nice that it's the fifth song and they have Mr. President, and he has Mr. President have pity on the working man in between Marie and Guilty, because it's just kind of like a, you need something between them, because they're both very heavy. but I think you're right, he's kind of um, exploring exploring who he really is and some of the negative things through self-pity and and self-justification.
2: I'm guilty Baby, I'm guilty And I'll be guilty All the rest of my life How come I never do Right.
0: You know. There you have it folks Randy Newman's good old boys I want to mention that if you enjoyed this you want to find out more about Randy Newman or this album there's a couple great resources first the book The Life and Music of Randy Newman by David and Caroline Stafford also Malcolm Gladwell on his podcast Revisionist History dedicates an entire episode to good old boys and in typical Malcolm Gladwell fashion he does an outstanding job I highly recommend listening to that as well we'll be back to an interview next week I know this is a little different than other middle class rock star episodes but that's kind of fun and I've been considering doing some more stuff like this Um, and please let me know what you think. You can send me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com or andysitto at gmail.com. I also want to quickly thank our sponsors. First off, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast, and for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. Please remember as well, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash S-Y-D-O-W, for early release on some of these episodes and other exclusive content as well. That's all for today. I'll talk to you next week.